Welcome to Keeping Up With Data. Keeping Up With Data is the podcast that keeps data enthusiasts up to speed with what is happening in the data world. We bring in the leading minds from the data industry to talk all things career, news, embarrassing stories, failures and successes. Welcome to Keeping Up With Data with me, Joel Robinston. Me, Emily Nota. And today we're joined by our great friend of Precision, Evan Rollins. How are you, Evan? Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, no worries at all, mate. Well, we're going to get straight into it this week. So I know last week's episode, we started with some news. We weren't so sure about that moving forward with the episode, but we're definitely going to revisit Emily on the Streets. Yes, we are. 100%. And 100%. we're going to get into things with you, Evan. And we will be finishing with your zombie apocalypse, three people that you'd bring. Fabulous. So I hope you prepared that as we go. So prepared. Okay, cool. Good stuff. Well, look, before we get <laughs> into it, Evan, like, just tell everyone a bit about yourself. I like the guest to introduce himself rather than me telling you who you are. Sure. Um, so I'm the head of data and planning at Accordant, which is now Isobar. Cool. Part of the Dentsu Aegis or the Dentsu group of companies. Um, and I look after the data science and data component of the essentially the digital service offering there. Um, and I also look after parts of the strategy component. Um, and what we largely do is, is focus on the, the integration of MarTech and marketing and digital experience. And obviously, it comes along with it as a lot of data. And so it's really exciting, exciting space to be in where we can get to play with a lot of new things and also work with a really broad uh, group of people. Fantastic. So just to let everyone know a little bit what we're going to talk about today, obviously you come from an agency world. We've definitely got some questions around that because it's quite different to working in-house. And I think a lot of people want to know the differences as well. And maybe they think it's the same or they think of it as consulting sometimes. And it's even different to that. I mean, it is consulting, but it's a different world again, right? Definitely. Okay, cool. So we'll get into that. Um, But before we do that, you brought your... um, young daughter along with you today evie who is six months she is just over eight months old eight months that's awesome so So we're going to get into a little bit of a topic which i think is really cool so you've taken how much paternity leave uh 16 weeks 16 weeks paternity leave. so that's pretty rare right it's super rare yeah Yeah. and i'm blessed for being able to do so as well like it's not many companies that offer that kind of uh package for their employees and we can hear evie really enjoying watching her dad on the podcast in the background okay so a few of my friends similar recently have actually started taking really extended paternity leave and yeah. it's pretty cool right because everyone typically thinks oh it's the mum who's going to take a lot of time off so mm. can you kind of help by talking through some of your decision making in terms of taking that much time off how it felt approaching your boss saying hey i want to be off for this long because it, it must have been a bit different right i think that is definitely a point of contention especially because I'm a functional head, and so I was worried. I think, like other people in the business, are worried that taking that much time off would have uh, lasting impacts in the business in terms of what we can do for the clients and, and how we will have continuity. It turns out it was really easy. Um, <laughs> it was unbelievably easy. Um, my my dad was a stay-at-home dad, and so it's it's not a, an odd thing for me. I grew up in that environment, um, and so when the the option was available, and I essentially negotiated with my wife as to how much time we could get. Um, I decided to snap it as hard as I could. And actually, that conversation went unbelievably easy. Oh, great. Um, it's it's basically in the EBA, right? And I'm not mm. someone who's going to say, you know, I'm on break now. It's in my it's in my contract sort of thing. But when, when you have something that's that valuable, 16 weeks with uh, an infant is unbelievably valuable to yourself as a parent as well as to them. You've got to exercise it. Yeah. So parents get on it yeah <laughs> i was gonna say is that in your contract that you actually have pat leave or mat leave or did you actually go to them and be like i would like that 
Oh, there's no way I'd get that if I just asked for it. <laughs> I was going to say, damn it, you should advocate for people who don't have it. <laughs> Ask no, the question. It, it was in the contract already. A primary care slave is what, uh, awesome. what you can do. And so we just did as much of that as we could. Got you. I'm really impressed by that. I honestly, just generally, like, I think the world's obviously changed a lot over the last 18 months, but mm. just the amount of times now I hear about companies being open to doing that. So I think that's mm. a good thing. Obviously, Age is having that in their contract as well. And I think a lot of companies are probably looking at that these days as to it not just being the norm, thinking maternity leave, right? Yeah, definitely. And also, I think people are looking for more stability nowadays, especially with COVID turning stuff upside down. So that's, that's right. something that they're considering heavily with moving. That's well. right. And do you think there was a difference? You mentioned their agency, like people were a bit nervous. Do you think it would be easier to take an extended paternity leave in an in-house role as such? Whereas with yours, it's like you are servicing clients. There is that, mm. you know, worry that what if we lose that client in that time that you're off? Yeah. Um, I think it depends on the duration of the leave, right? I took 16 weeks, which is just shy of four months, mm. um, which is a really uncomfortable amount of time because we we all hear about maternity backfills mm. where you have nine months or a year of someone stepping into the role. Well, four months is kind of too short for that. Mm. Yeah. It's just long enough for people to realize they can get along fine without you as well. So it's <laughs> a little bit of a risk from my perspective, but um, I think it just depends on the duration. I, I could have chosen to take eight months mm. at half pay. And at that point they probably would have said, look, we've got to do something about this. We sure. need to have a, a, a deeper and more thorough contingency plan as opposed to you know the really cursory one that we have. Yeah, 100%, okay, cool. Yeah. All right, so we'll, we'll get into some of the questions that we're gonna ask typically on this podcast. Awesome. The first one, you've got a young daughter, not ready for this yet, but explain like I'm five or Emily's five, whoever, mm -hmm. what do you actually do? What do I actually do? I am really good at PowerPoint, is <laughs> the unfortunate <laughs> truth. Um, I spend most of my time talking to clients about problems they have. Um, and my job is essentially to translate those problems into solution packages. Cool. Um, and that exists in, in lots of different ways, but I want to hear from them what their needs are, and I want to translate that to a solution that is going to solve those needs. Nice. If I was five and understood that, I'd be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that's almost yeah. a back-ended compliment. I if I was yeah. five, I'd be impressed. Yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> the way I'm thinking it, so we asked Keegan that same question last week, and he went yeah. off on one. I wonder if anyone's actually going to be able to walk in and imagine that we're actually five-year-olds and be able to simplify it. I also went off on one. You did, we didn't you? Yeah. a really elaborate answer, and you were like, I feel drops. Yeah. Great. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Should have done that. <laughs> so See, we need to get deeper in the role play if you want to do that. Yeah. You know, I've got to get some five-year-old oh, interplay true, yeah. first. And then I'll be like, okay, no, we're actually dealing with five bills. Let's all so bring I'll walk it down. in on my knees with my shoes on my knees or something like that next time. Okay, cool, that helps. All right, we're going to get into it. We're going to go to Emily first on this. So every week okay. or other week, because we're bi-weekly, we're going to ask the guests what their best day to joke is. Oh, yeah. And okay, this is we're you, going Emily. in hard. We're yeah, going yeah. in hard early. Yeah, all right. We're starting early. Let's we're going to get the mask going early. And you're going to do a new one every week, Emily. I am. I'm, I've got one ready. And I think as soon as we start getting more listeners... We did okay last week, but you know, we're going to build. We'll start getting a vote on who does the best joke each time. Oh, but no. not this time. You've got free floor. Okay. <laughs> okay, Emily, you're up. Okay, I'm going for it. Okay. What do you get when you cross a pirate with a data scientist? What do you get when you cross a pirate with a data scientist? Someone who spe specializes in R. <laughs> <laughs> Now, all the Python fanboys right now are going to be like, what is this? Yeah, and just yeah, exiting yeah. out. No way. Can't stand it. I was this. dead. I'm joking. <laughs> that was pretty good. I reckon that was better than the last The delivery week. was a bit pretty average, though. Yeah, not really rehearsed. Off. Yeah, so, you know. 100%. Okay, Evan, so there's your bar to beat. 
Well, I'm not going to try and challenge that. Let's just say it's going to be parallel, okay. parallel tracks. Um, so mine is that a statistician and his wife have twins, and they're deciding to go get baptized. And so they contact the pastor and say, we'd love to go get our children baptized. And he says, okay, well, bring them both in next weekend, and I'll baptize them. The statistician says, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. We're only going to baptize one. We're going to keep the other as a control. <laughs> Do you know why I like that? Because I was terrible. hoping someone would come in with a bit more of a story deck joke. So yeah. yeah, but you know, there's a build up there. I'm not sure the punchline quite was as good as the build up. They're data jokes. Yeah, I know, right? And the- I get away with not asking them each week, so I'm here just judging. So it's great. <laughs> cool, good effort. Thanks for getting involved in that. Uh, All right, anyway, so let's get more into this agency world. So, how do data problems differ in agency world as opposed to they would maybe in an in house role? Um, the biggest thing is that the the assumption in, of questions in an in-house role tend to be based around the available data that is known, right? And so you say, I, can you tell me about, uh, you know, the propensity of our customers to purchase, you know, the next most profitable product? You understand that you have customer data. You understand that that exists and that's something you can, you can work with. Mm. In an agency world, you can't make any assumptions about that. Partially because so many of your clients say they have massive data problems anyway, but mostly because you're on the outside and you understand that it's going to take a massive investment of time and energy to get you into the right data systems Mm. to make decisions. And so you need to start by asking questions like, what's the easiest and best impact data I can get access to as opposed to where's the data? Yeah. Right. Um, For us, because we're working in the digital space, a lot of the data we're working with lives in Google and Adobe Analytics solutions. Now, that data is heavily formatted. And so the challenge we face is that working with it to answer the right questions is very challenging if you only get, like, say, read level access. Mm. Right. You just can't get very much from it. Whereas if you get deeper levels of access, again, just harder in an organization, you can get a lot more inference and you can get some really, really interesting insights from it. Um, at CRM, obviously, we can get access to, but that's, mm. it just is jumping through more hoops. Yeah. And so when we engage with a client in an agency world, we think, how much effort are we willing to put into this to get to the really rich data? Yeah. Or how many things we need to show value for first before a client's going to trust us to be able to do that? Yeah, okay. So what steps do you take in order to get to that point then would be the next obvious question. Well, I think it's, it's different in different worlds, right? If you had someone from Quantium in here, people from Quantium walk into the room and with the expectation that the person across the table from them is going to say, of course, I'll give you my data. Like that's yeah. why you're here. We want you to use our data. Whereas when you're working with Isobar or Dentsu, they're seen as a digital partner or a media partner. And so you're often working with like product or marketing people. And so all, immediately your access to data is abstracted. Right, you have to go through a few people internally to get access to what you need. And that means that you need to first say, well, we're gonna use a little bit of data and we're gonna show you how making decisions with that little bit of data is gonna show value for your marketing campaign. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Having done that, we're gonna show you how a little bit more data can improve the efficacy of your product. Having done that, we're, we're, you know, we're eking away at the problem. We can show you that utilizing customer data more fully can totally transform your strategies around marketing and growth. Yeah, okay. Mm. But you need to take it stepwise because unfortunately we don't have the, the um, I guess, the remit when we walk in to just have at it with everything on a client. That makes sense. Yeah. So that must be quite difficult then. Like you, When it comes to hiring, and we'll talk, go to you a little bit on this as well, Emily, when you're bringing people to work in a data team within an agency, that's a different skill set and that's a different 
type of personality and different person. I mean, you've worked with a lot of agencies as well in the past, would you agree? Yes. Harder to recruit for yes. normally? Much harder to recruit for. There's many of factors around that, but won't go into it. I'd love to hear <laughs> some of those factors. <laughs> well, you know full well. <laughs> I don't need to repeat them. <laughs> so what type of person does it take then to work in an agency? Because for me, what you're telling me there is, is someone who doesn't have the typical attributes necessarily personality of a data person, if that makes sense. You've got to be much more happy with ambiguity. You've mm-hmm. got to be happy to mm-hmm. not be super accurate with everything that you do. You've just got mm-hmm. to get it out the door and get it done. Is, is, am I hitting the right kind of thing? Yeah, I here? think you're definitely hitting the right notes. Um, certainly the needs of an agency are very different to those of an in-house team. I think the biggest thing that I've seen is around size and scale. Yep. Agency teams mm-hmm. are smaller, and so every person in the team needs to be more well-rounded. And so largely, people in the data teams at agencies are expected to be client-facing. You're expected mm-hmm. to be able to engage with clients directly on problems instead of having you know, layers of managers mm-hmm. to translate results up the chain. You've got to be the one. Uh, and that's a massive challenge because, as you said, that's, it's traditionally understood that that's a skill set that people don't have mm. in the data world. I mean, I would challenge that gently. I think that, that it's changing a lot. I completely agree. Um, but... I do think that there's there's a different set of needs. And certainly something we found as well with data people in the past is the desire for accuracy and the desire for getting things just right, you kind of have to get over when yeah. you're in an agency world. Yeah. It's more important that you're 80% right and mm-hmm. we're heading in the right direction than you're 100% right and it's taken four times, five times as long. Yeah. Would you say then like maybe an agency, you're probably more hiring, I mean, this is generalizing, but you're hiring more for the person how they can present themselves in front of a client and you could teach more of the technical stuff. The opposite or no? It's, I think that ideally that's exactly what you do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we can talk about some of the, the mistakes that I've made along the way if you'd like. Oh, yes. but oh that was going to be my next question. Yeah. It's the biggest stuff yeah. ups, yeah, 100%. Uh, um, because I think that you can absolutely do that and you definitely do need the right people. It's better to hire for the person. Yeah. But you need to make sure that that foundation is right. Um, and if you have the, the infrastructure to support like a technical training regime for new hires, amazing. Mm. You should do it every time. Yeah. I suppose it's about finding what foundation means to you or That's like fine. companies, right? Cause it yeah. means different things. Of course. Anyways, back to you. So before we get into your biggest stuff ups in building a data team, we can hear Evie over there. So I think she's going okay. Oh, no. She's just saying hello. <laughs> anyway, so big stuff, biggest stuff. But before we get to that, we're going to go to our segment, Emily on the Streets. Oh, yeah. Because in this segment, we get you out on the streets, and we're going to be asking people who don't have any technical knowledge, but maybe present themselves well, what they know mm. about tech. So we're going to learn if that's something we can do. But before we do that, Emily, I know you've got a question that you want to ask Evan, because we ask everyone. What? Yes, okay. So here is um, the question. So would you rather have your Google search history breached to your entire office or breach everyone in your entire office's Google search history and they know it's you? So I saw the last episode mm-hmm. and immediately mm-hmm. you can start quibbling on, you know, okay, but it's a breach, right? So I wasn't at fault or... Don't get into semantics. Yeah, so yeah. I'll accept it at you face value. You have the option to breach your colleague's <laughs> data yeah. and you have... That's, there you go. Now we're back on track. Uh, if that's the case, yeah. then absolutely prefer to have my own okay. released. If it was leaked and it was because of a mistake that I made, it's much easier to apologize than ask for permission. So I would, if it was just a, a, a simple human error and everyone's search history got out, I'd say, I'd email everybody and say, look, just don't read it. Yeah. 
You've done this before. <laughs> I can feel it. It's one of those stuff ups. <laughs> yeah, you covered your tracks no, too much before, haven't you? Um, that's a good answer. Okay, so you'd, mm. you'd release your own, is yes. what I'm saying. Yes, unless if it you was anything, with it. anything deliberate, I would do it, it. Yeah. my own. If it was purely accidental out of ignorance or naivete, yeah, okay. then it'd be, I'd mm. rather just say sorry. Reasonable. There you go. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. So today's question was what was it, Emily? What is machine learning? What is machine learning? So we've got a bunch of people, so we'll listen to this. And how do you? Th- so we've got six, six responses to what is machine learning. All right. How do you think the general public is going to go on out of six? How many are going to get close? Let's say like two point seven. Wow. Given 2. that 7. there's okay. degrees so of fake. closeness. Yeah. So maybe two people get it right, one gets it half right, and one gets like a point two. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All yeah. right. Let's see how we go. All right. Here we go. What is machine learning? Uh, it's a simple form of AI. Oh no, <laughs> these are hard questions. Um, I'm not going to say learning about machines because that's too obvious, so you know what I mean. That's how machines um, <laughs> give you answers and tell you stuff, basically like, I don't know, just really clever. What is machine learning? Oh, machine learning, uh, the approach of uh, systems that are producing data, that machines understand that data information and provide information that can be used to make decisions. Pretty good pun, if you ask me. Machine learning, gosh, um, it's got nothing to do with I do that, what I do at the moment. Um, machines learning. Something to do with machines, something about development, understanding of machinery, how it works. Pretty, pretty off the mark, but that's fine. Machine learning is a, um, it's kind of algorithms that, um, again, interpret data and, um, in, you know, constantly read and interpret data to improve an outcome or um, business outcome. Yeah. Okay, right. was that last one, Simon? Because... No. 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 That was the that third was one. That, that last per- yeah, Simon was in there. He was the third one. Yeah. He was the one who said that they do clever stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so no, he got that completely wrong. Now, the last one was my friend Joe, actually. Oh, right. Um, who did well last week as well. Would you say he was the best? Or Yeah, I'd say he was the best. He's going to be very pleased yeah. about that, yeah. Although I think this is identifying a branding problem in machine learning. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That is not a very well-described activity. No, no one really not. got that close, did they? I mean, Joe got okay, but Would that was one, one out of yeah. six. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, the, the public Rest failed on that tragic. one. Yeah. So we've got a whole bunch more that will be coming <laughs> on the next few weeks. I'm but... surprised nobody says Facebook. Like that's surely that's the first thing you think of when people say machine learning. They're like, oh, algorithms. I watched that Facebook documentary with all oh, the, the algorithms. Oh, the social dilemma. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm surprised people just don't jump on that now. That's I true. Think I, I would think um, just be like, it's a machine that learns. If I didn't know, I'd go that basic. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, Evie's dropped her cracker. There we go. We've got a fourth guest now. Five second, so Evie's five second. in the room. So hopefully she'll uh, get involved in some of the answers. Anyway, right, so we'll get back to where we were, which was your biggest stuff-ups in building a data team. Biggest stuff-ups. Yeah. So what have you done where you've got it completely wrong? Um, so the, hearkening back to what you said, Emily, I just thought I could do everything. <laughs> and so I thought that I had the time and the infrastructure in place and the resources to be able to have you know, people who are guns who are personally guns, who I can put in front of clients and then train them up, and I just didn't have the time. And so what ended up happening is you had, we had a team that was young and passionate, but didn't have enough mentoring Mm. and mentorship. Um, And so we had more turnover than I would have liked. Um, We had a really long wind up to get people to be really active and effective contributors. Um, And I mean, now we're in a great place, 
but uh, it was probably a, a setback and a delay in terms of the maturity of what we could have built mm. by at least a year, just because wow. of not anticipating what the actual needs of the team would be properly. That's really useful to know. Was that like a yeah. reactive hiring because you were like so understaffed that you just thought, I'm just going to get these people because they're passionate and not really think about the depth of their skills yet? Or was it just like, were you, I don't know, maybe rephrase, mm. were you in a position where you had to really hire quite quickly to get that team underway? I don't think there's ever a situation in an agency <laughs> where that's not <laughs> yeah, the case. <laughs> if you need people, you needed them yesterday. Yeah. And that's that's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. forever what you're looking at. Yeah. Um, definitely. definitely the case um but i think also just i didn't have the foresight of the time and that's Mm. the the honest assessment of things is that i didn't anticipate the needs as fully as i should have um when really as soon as we had people in the team who were crying out for you know more on the on the job mentorship and realizing that i just i couldn't provide it as much as i wanted Mm. that was that was really struggling yeah i can imagine So working in the agency world, you must get quite a lot of run-ins with people who maybe don't know what they're doing with data. What? Yeah, I know, yeah. right? <laughs> so what backgrounds do people have where it's just common that they think they know loads about data, mm. but actually in reality they don't? And, you know, you can tread carefully if you want in case any of your clients are listening, but, you know, <laughs> if you want to be candid, that's cool too. Uh, I won't say any of you, don't worry. <laughs> um, so I think the biggest culprit, like everyone is going to say marketers, right? Like every data team works with marketers nowadays and they're always saying, oh, marketers, marketers. Actually, I think marketers have an accurate appreciation of how much they know data. Awesome. But I think the worst culprit is actually developers. Oh, really? Like <laughs> really? web developers? Yeah, web developers. Okay. And I'm going to cop a lot of flack yeah, from people at work for saying really this. Are. But um, when I've had discussions with web developers, the way they think about data structures and how data should behave and what you're supposed to get from data is just so different. Mm. It's just so different. And I think that that uh, the intangibility of people who work with data specifically to grasp what a web developer is trying to do yeah. and vice versa means that you can have really, really frustrating conversations <laughs> where, oh, excuse me, you can say, <laughs> what I want data to achieve is X, Y, Z. Yeah. And to a developer, that's the easiest part, right? A developer, the hard part is like, you know, getting data from a place to a place, or it's capturing data in a web environment, or it's mm-hmm. transporting it to another web environment, where the actual hard data science work takes a lot of work, and yeah. there's just not a very big appreciation for it from the experience that I've had only. Is it just because of the way they've been built and how they go about their work, basically? They look at the problem differently? That's right. When you're used to dealing with like a JSON data object yeah. and MongoDB, you just think that that's what data is. You don't think about what a tidy data table is and yeah. how you're going to be utilizing that and how you're going to be making decisions with data. You think, well, I'm going to be moving data, I'm going to be capturing data, and that's about all I'm going to be doing with data. Mm. I'm really impressed with your multitasking as well yeah, at the moment. Yeah, this is like mesmerizing. Yeah. Oh, but <laughs> wait till you have kids. It's going to be so easy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they said. That's what they all say, right? Yeah. Um, all right, so let's get into some buzzwords. So what buzzwords do you absolutely hate in data and what do you hear just being smashed around in completely the wrong context is it a faux policy machine learning (laughs) we just did that we just saw that (laughs) no i think the worst one actually isn't a data one but it grinds my gears every time and it's when people use the word ideation Mm. why does it grind your gears so much go on i was gonna say can you give us an example of like someone who put it in a sentence before and sure um we need to design uh interface for our customers let's have an ideation session oh that's very agency yeah. super agency right yeah. i can't tell you how many ideation <laughs> sessions i've had 
a ton <laughs> and they just grind my gears every time. Why don't you just say coming up with ideas? Is brainstorming a faux pas these days? I don't know. We can just say these, like, these are the same things. But no, ideation is the biggest one. I've never heard that one before. So there yeah. you go. Maybe that's just your world. I found it in agency. Yeah. And so if you want to find ideation, go to an agency. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, maybe there's one person listening who wants that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so you obviously mentioned you do a lot of presentations with data. So what's yeah. the funniest presentation you've made where, and it might be your fault, but where they just didn't get it? And you've walked out of there going, oh, God, what have I done? Uh, I mean, this happened a bunch of times, right? <laughs> um, but no, the, the worst one was for a really, really good client of ours that we had a great long-term relationship with. And we had just, I just spent a lot of time in developing these data methods for us to use with specifically their customer base, um, knowing that what the data was that they'd, they'd had um, for their customers. And so... I put a lot of effort into this, uh, essentially, customer segmentation model uh, and a very basic decisioning algorithm uh, to basically identify what customers are more or less valuable for them to be trying to acquire. Yeah. I did it at a basic level so that they'd want to buy a big package. As soon as I showed a visualization on the screen with different colored dots, <laughs> They just shut down. They said, turn off the presentation. They said, turn off the presentation. It doesn't make sense to me. What? So I was thinking, oh boy. So okay, if I've color, overshot. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. <laughs> I've overshot. If the dots were color. the same color, would they have been okay, do you think? I think scatter plots okay. can be offensive. It's yeah, what I learned okay. from that experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there was wasn't a bit, like a wow. hidden like symbol in there that just was really offensive or something, was there? <laughs> it was one of those colorblind charts, mm. yeah. No. <laughs> no, it was a very basic customer segmentation model with different colors representing different customer segments yeah. on a scatter plot. Simple to you? Extremely simple to me. Right. And mm. that was a huge learning experience. I, think I was that upset. Yeah. I was so upset. <laughs> um, but it shocked me. And it shocked me in such a way it made me reevaluate you know, the assumptions that I had around people's yeah. comfortability with data. So how did you recover from that if at all? I walked it right back. And the next time I spoke to them, I only had words in a PowerPoint. Wow. Mm. Smart. That's how you, that's how you do it. No Brilliant recovery. <laughs> yeah. I'm impressed to be honest, because I, if, if someone said that to me in the middle of a presentation, I'll just turn it off. I'd be melting. It wasn't, yeah. and I want to be clear, it wasn't aggressive in any way. Right, okay, oh. it was, okay. It was very much like, I don't understand this. You're yeah. confusing me. Can we just turn this like turn this off and just have a conversation? Yeah. And I had thought that was the most interesting part of what we were going to be talking about that day. Yeah, fair enough. Very, very different perspectives. Cool. <laughs> Let's take a different direction. We should probably do this at the beginning, but I forgot, I'll be honest with you. But uh, <laughs> we, we need to always do a story around. How did, how did you know you wanted to get into data? So obviously Keegan mentioned last week to us that he went out of data, got back into it. Was mm -hmm. yours a more simple journey? I know you did your stats degree and, and all the rest of it. Did do a stats degree, but it was definitely not a simple journey. Okay, cool. And I think you rarely find somebody who has a simple journey. Um, everyone's mm. got their own story, but um, I actually dropped out of high school uh, in year 11, and then I went to study philosophy at university. Wow. And wow. this is before they had a lot of like... Um, college entry or alternative entry pathways to university mm. Mm. and so when i was studying philosophy it was under a non-award category so i didn't get any like credits towards an actual degree what? but i still had to study for a year ah. um and as i was studying philosophy i thought yeah this is fun but it's a bit much and so i changed to psychology for my okay. undergrad and um in studying psychology i became frustrated with 
the way that you made decisions around people's states, right? It's basically self-report surveys all the yeah. way down, right? Mm. Like, that's pretty much your data collection. And it's a really hard data to work with. Yeah. And the only spark of light that I found in the discussions around psychology was around statistics. Okay. And so that was how, how we really understand the world we live in. Yeah. And that's by looking at data in specific ways and trying to interpret them in ways that make sense with the world as well. Makes sense. Um, and that was what kind of pulled me into it, um, is thinking this is the real way to understand the world we live in. Um, is through the lens of data. And then I started pursuing my master's and so on. Nice. So you did your stats degree after doing psychology and philosophy. Yep. Two things that I considered doing as well, actually. Mm. And I realized philosophy can come be done down the pub with your friends. And psychology is... It's going to be really offensive to <laughs> philosophy majors out there. But also, like, let's be honest, right? Everyone thinks about doing philosophy at university, and then you go, well, what, what am I going to do after that? Oh, yeah. So if you hopefully are pragmatic enough at 17 to go, yeah, that's, that's fine. It's super interesting. I loved it at school. Super interesting. And psychology as well, but you're right. I found it frustrating, the whole... Um, just a bunch of kind of surveys that just answer their own questions, basically. So you did your stats degree, and then what job did you get into straight out of uni then after you'd done your stats degree? Um, so I started doing consulting work uh, for a not-for-profit uh, for Dementia Australia. Oh, cool. Um, and I was essentially doing consulting work for aged care facilities using survey data. So you went straight <laughs> back into it. <laughs> so there was some direct applicability, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but having done that and realizing that we didn't have the funding or really the impetus to be able to do a lot with data um i decided to go to a field that had a lot more yeah okay and so that's when i made the the jump to a growing digital agency cool and so you progressed really quickly at accordant or what i would consider quite quickly would you agree emily in terms of years of before managing yeah definitely so why do you think it was that you were able to like what is what stood you stood you in good stead what why do you stand out compared to other people and progressing quickly oh that's a good question um I'd love to be able to toot my own horn, but I think the honest answer in most of these circumstances is circumstance. Okay. Um, we're, we're very quickly growing, um, and there was a strong need to grow quickly. And uh, I had the, I was in the position to be able to open up new service lines. Yeah. Because it's bringing new skills to the business, um, and I also had the desire and, I guess, aptitude, but despite all the mistakes that I already talked yeah. to, to, to be able to hire and grow a team. So yeah. um, it was just the right place, right time, is how I would characterize that. Of course. Um, but you must have done something right yourself as well that like you mentioned. But I guess it, it sounds like agency's got a little bit of uh, similarity. I always try and bring it back to what I do, recruitment, just to try mm -hmm. and help myself understand it in that you kind of get out what you put in. So yep. you mentioned there you had the ability to open up new service lines and you can walk into, you know, whether it be a promotion review or chat with your boss and say, hey, here's some actual figures on a piece of paper that I've achieved to show that I'm the right person for the job. Do you think yep. that really contributes? I want to say yes. I want to <laughs> believe that that's the case. Sure. But I also think that people make decisions too often about hiring and promotions based on uh, intangibles. Sure. And that's that's a quirk of human nature, right? Like why, you guys are recruiters, why does a hiring manager like the person in the room, right? You can say it's because they are qualified or they have all the right technical skills, but often 
like we make the judgments about people instantaneously. Yeah. And I'd love to say I did do that. I said, <laughs> here's, here's the value that yeah. I bring, and this is exactly why I should be doing X, Y, Z. Um, but maybe that was helpful. I think what was probably more helpful was having prepared that, I was really ready for that conversation. Having thought about the value that I actually drove in the business and what I wanted to do in the business and having clarity on both ends, I could enter that conversation very, very strongly. Sure. And I think a lot of people come into those conversations thinking, I know what I want, but I haven't really thought about what I'm doing for the business and how I'm going to justify that. Great. So every podcast I look for snippets that we're going to be putting out on LinkedIn, I think this is a really good moment we can talk about that because... Soundbite. Mm. Soundbite, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I think um, you could speak to this a little bit as well, is that so many people... So we work with two different types of um, person. Usually we've got contractors and permanent employees, right? And especially with contractors, they're often mm. asking, I want a, a rate increase or we'll get a candidate saying I'm on... 100,000 now, but I want 140. Mm. And then you would often ask the question, well, why? What have you achieved? And they go, but I want that. Yeah. Yeah. That's also the conversation about like people not just, oh, no, actually, maybe I shouldn't say this, but like people not disclosing their salaries, like, and being weird about it and not telling me why. Yeah. It's like, what, what's the value that you've added? All I want to do is understand how I can actually position you in a way that, like, is valuable to the client, right? Yeah, especially for us as recruiters, because the more people make, the more we make, right? That's just kind of how our yeah. business model works, right? So it's our benefit to get people as much as possible. Shouldn't yeah. say that to a client of ours, really, should I? Um, they know also, it. We they know it. Party happy, and everybody <laughs> needs to be on the same page. No, but we don't want to put someone in a job that's overpaid because you'll very quickly realize that. So it is a balancing act for us as recruiters. But so many people can't actually say why they deserve more money, hmm. and I want to pay the person what they are doing their job. So it, I don't want to pay someone uh, 140000 if they're doing a job that's actually worth 200000 I'd be like, well, no, you should be earning more. Hmm. Yeah. So you should pay people for yeah. the job they're doing. But if you can't explain why you should get paid that because of what you achieved, then it's going to be a struggle. Mm -hmm. Transparency is key. Transparency is, is key. Soundbite again, there you go. This is, Evan, probably something that will, you know, maybe you will be able to get your hands on, on this data. I'm not too sure. But one of our questions is, if you could get your hands on a specific company's data and unlock their data, what would it be? And why? Oh, well, you guys can already access 500 million users from Facebook. So what do you mean? Like, it's right there. I know, right? It is all there, isn't it? <laughs> Surely some, most people would say, like, I want data from one of the fangs, right? Like, that'd be really useful. The thing that I've really been looking at is uh, a continuation of a project that the Greens Party has been doing in Australia. Oh, cool. Which is trying to catalog donations to political parties. That'd be brilliant. Fortunately, Australia has really, really lax laws about um, making public donations to right. political entities. And so you can, for example, make a donation of $5,000 that you don't have to declare. Oh, really? But you can make 200 donations of $5,000 and, and you don't have to, to declare, declare any of them. So there's no like limit on the amount from one entity to another. It's just as long as it's under a threshold. And what that means is that the data actually looks really odd from what's declared. And so the day that I would love to see is the, the Australian dark money in politics <laughs> that is undeclared. So you want to know who is underlying all Scotty from marketing's decisions, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know what incentivizes parties. Yeah. Because mm. people respond to incentives and political parties are are basically, they operate almost the same as companies. Yeah. And so they're incentivized by their donors, and I'd love to know who those donors are. So That's actually a good one. It is a good one. It leads perfectly into one of our other questions. 
so if you did have an audience with Scott Morrison, mm. what data would you show him? Would it be that data? And you'd be like, I figured you out. Or <laughs> would you show him something else? I guess I'm going to, I'm going to first ask the two of you a question response. Shoot. Why would you show Scott Morrison data? To get an to outcome. Influence. To yeah. influence, right. Okay. Well, so I, th- I was thinking about this question because I think it's a really good question. Yeah. And if you're trying to influence Scott Morrison, some data is going to be good data. Yeah. For what he was. definitely not influencing. Yeah. Right. So what data do you think would influence Scott Morrison? Anything that makes him look good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything he can take credit for that he didn't do. Oh, God, I really should stop, shouldn't I? <laughs> this is Keep turning going. into a politics cast. Jeez. I know, right? Yeah. Um, it's like, because the way I see it, it, it might be like a nice feeling to get. If you showed him something that you know knew was unequivocally correct and obvious, and you kind of almost laid it out for him, say, look at this data, Scott. You could do something really good today. I don't know what this is, but I'm just saying it's a theory. And then he didn't do it. You'd almost get a really good idea of who he was as a prime minister. But if he did do it, mm-hmm. you'd be like, well, maybe he actually is influenced by just the people talking to him and he's just getting the wrong people talking to him mm. does that make sense yeah kind of nice roundabout way of getting there so under- yeah. uncovering who scott Morrison really yeah. is. i want to know yeah. i don't think anyone really knows who mm. he is he always just has that look on his face where mm. it's almost like he knows exactly where he is and what he's doing but at the same time doesn't he's an enigma yeah yeah and i think that really works quite well in politics which is probably why he goes well anyway anyway yeah. if you weren't working in data and presenting it to Scott Morrison, what would your dream job be? Um, that's a tough one. I honestly don't know. Well, uh, you're in it. Things things that are really uh, interesting to me are like language and language derivation and history. Uh, and so a dream job might be like being academia, but I look at academia now and I think, well, I'm not sure I'd survive. So why don't you think you survive in academia? Such a different world, such a different world. Uh, operating in ways that like i don't feel is are very incentivizing like the way that there's a replication crisis and research and mm-hmm. there's problems with scaling research findings to mm-hmm. apply to the real world and it's very much a bubble that when you try to bridge to real world solutions you have so many barriers yeah mm-hmm. and i think that you'd also lose an appreciation for that being in academia you'd think well i have the answers to all of those problems i've yeah. been studying it for years i know exactly yeah. what we should do when that's just not how the world works um, but to answer your question, probably academia. There you go. Do you find? Do you still find that there's a real difficult transition for people um, from academia into the professional world? Has it changed at all over the last few years? I feel like there's a lack of people um, positioned to help those people. Like I can obviously help, yep. but there's only so many people that will take academic backgrounds with no industry back uh, industry experience. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a specific type of client, so. It is hard, but I think they're more, more and more open since four years ago. What advice would you give people from <laughs> academia in terms of what they can do to better secure a job in the professional world? I know people, um, someone in particular, who actually went from academia to uh, one of the big banks, and she is like really pivotal in a lot of the networking groups that are in academia, academia but also within industry. So I would say definitely get involved in those because she's like recommended me to so many different people. Evie's talking at the same time. Yeah. How rude. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, making sure that you're in the right groups, I suppose, to be able to bridge because it's all about sort of who you know, I suppose. Yeah. 
and being able to position yourself in the right way. Okay, so networking, yeah. meet the right people, leverage the right people. And then get advice on your CV. I've given a lot of those people advice that I might not be able to place, but at least can help in some way. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. I've never wanted to hire someone coming out of a PhD. Really? I've had that recently. I've interviewed many yeah. and I have never wanted to. Even if they've done something really specific and interesting where you're like, I can use that, or has that not really ever happened for you? I have seen that, and I've been very interested by that thing, but I live in a world where you need to be able to solve a lot of problems. Yeah. And mm. I just feel like that's it's such a different world. It's such a different approach. Whenever mm. I start talking to them about how they're gonna, how they would approach one of the real life problems we have, it's it hasn't been able to translate very easily. Yeah, fair enough. So, what is the biggest stuff up you've ever had with your data or anyone's data? Like, what's the biggest mistake, shall we say, that you've made? Ooh. Specifically with data. Yeah. Um, we had a. I mean, you can go into life and get really deep with us if you want, but let's go with data. Um, that we did have a client who was, I will say, they're a smaller client. They don't have very much maturity or sophistication, and we offered to do some quick solutions um, for them, and without really understanding what we were signing up for, we agreed to do a piece of work, mm. and in about two hours, we got emailed to us their entire customer database oh wow in an excel spreadsheet uh which is really scary yeah. when you get that you think this is not good uh and so we immediately had to you know go through all the right rigmarole of mm. cordoning that off and deleting it and getting them to send it through secure channels um but i think that was probably the the biggest mistake again nice. in assumptions we were trying to play bit too fast and loose yeah and we were working with a client that didn't really have the sophistication to say we need to have all this set up for us so you made assumptions they made assumptions and that's makes right. an ass out of you and me basically yeah, yeah. exactly that's what our boss i'm sure says. i'm sure on their side they were like i just got sent our customer database yeah. in an excel file i'll just flick it to the agency and they'll sort it yeah, out for us it does. Yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> that's unfortunately what they did so there's still so many people out there who just don't get the need for data governance data privacy yeah. is so new to people right mm. and sometimes i worry not just about our industry but generally interesting you look at recruitment it's one of the least data savvy industries in the world like honestly it is and you think it would be one I of the a great story for you about that though, by we're the way. gonna go straight into that next <laughs> then but it could be one of the most because the amount of data we hold on people from years and years and years if you had people actually analyzing that data then maybe it would help you you know find people quicker or whatever it may be of course. i think a lot of the big global recruitment companies now have fixed this because they, they had to but even internally here Two years ago, I went to Rick and Simon said, okay, there's this new thing called GDPR, and I, I only know about it because of working in data. Mm. We need to sort out and lock down all our data because one candidate out of 100,000 says, oh, hey, you know, where are you storing it? Is it stored in the right place? And we've not got that right. We could be millions of dollars in court. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. that story you've told me there just shows me that it's just so common. Oh, yeah. Scary. And I mean, the, the benefit of working with so many different companies is that you get a cross-section of chaos, right? And you say to people, like, where where do you store your data? And they say, oh, in one of our CRMs. And you're like, what? <laughs> or they'll say, it's a it's a combination of data entry and spreadsheets and Brilliant. a CRM. Right. And you're like, oh, okay. Nice. Awesome. 
So, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're doing a casting yeah. at least. We were, yeah. I checked with all our CRM people and they said, oh, we're locked there. We're good. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah all good. Um, <laughs> so you had a little a funny story there that you maybe were going to tell us about. Well, one of your uh, questions was going to be, what's your worst interview experience or something oh, yeah, like that? Oh, yeah, definitely. And so I had one specifically like uh, relating to recruitment. Brilliant. Where uh, I won't name names, but it was a certain person who said, I'm going to solve recruitment using data. Oh, cool. I'm going to do automated job recommendations, yeah. automated candidate recommendations, yeah. marketplace subscription model. Yeah. I'm going to build a product where it scans your resume and based on blah, 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 it's going to recommend exactly yeah. the kind of cultural fit as well. Like basically everything under the sun. I'm just going to use data. It's going to be easy. This person doesn't know anything about data and didn't know that much about recruitment either. No. And so the the challenge for me was hearing that and not thinking, okay, we've got big dreams. That's great. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm not seeing anything but between right here yeah. and way up in the sky where the dreams are. Um, and that was a big challenge, right? Where you, personally, I felt like this, this is going to be a really hard business to make work. Uh, a really hard business to make work. And I just... I was extremely confident that it was not in the right place. Um, and so it was my worst interview experience because <laughs> most of the time when you go to a company to interview, you're excited about working for the company. Yeah. This was the first time I was like, I actually think that I actually just think this is not for me at all. And that was the, like, well, the first you time you, that I was able to At least you didn't start there and figure that out. So that's good. That's right. <laughs> But also, how can a computer or a machine scan for culture fit? Like, that is just impossible, surely. Oh, there's a lot of companies that are trying to do that right now. Oh, it's just so impossible, I feel. Sorry, you must. No, no, no. The, the, the years between 2014 and 2018, I'd say, were the let's Uberize the recruitment industry years. And the amount of people that I met or released articles online or and really started bad-mouthing the recruitment industry but yet wanted to work in the recruitment industry in a sense by uberizing it the amount of tools that came out that just flopped was ridiculous yeah, yeah. but then every tool that was meant to uberize the recruitment industry just made recruiters lives easier and made us better so it didn't mm. and, and the whole narrative was making recruiters obsolete for years yeah, yeah. right yeah but we're at the point now i think where people have realized that certain types of recruits can be made obsolete by a machine mm-hmm maybe really high volume churn. But if you're looking for specialized people that are really hard to find, it's just, it's just, there's just no way. So our friend who used to work here, Luke, is over in the UK. Oh, yeah. He set up a business that's similar-ish to that. It's a marketplace where recruiters and um, uh, hiring companies can meet, but the recruiters are still involved. He included them in his business model and he's going well. I think people don't realize it's the sixth biggest industry in the world recruitment in terms of revenue. Wow. Like it's well, absolutely crazy how big it is. Are you including like, the black market drug trade in that definitely not no yeah. i don't have any data on that so uh, i'm guessing that's probably number one um right we're going to get near towards the end of the podcast here so before we get into chatting about isobar nice branded colors on the microphone as well for isobar um and asking the questions why they should work for you and work for your team we've got a very uh, important question to ask you but second to last question this was actually one some requested that we ask this every week and it's what is the most useful or influential book about data that you've read so that we can start building a database of oh, these books with our guests yeah so have you i don't you maybe you don't read data books i don't know it might just oh, be i a love job. data books okay cool love so data what's books. the most influential one that you've ever read the most influential one is a book called the drunkard's walk oh, by cool. leonard Mladeno. and it's first of all it's amazing he's an excellent writer very readable for a layperson too, um, 
but the the concept of the book is that we don't appreciate the degree to which randomness affects our lives and because we all make decisions about our lives and we all want to live in a world where we're agents we choose to believe that when good things happen it was because we did something and we mm. choose to believe when bad things happen that oh it just happened to us comma mm. yeah and that's a a biological condition he argues right he says like if you look and you try to understand the world mathematically then you want you really appreciate that there's a lot of noise right there's a lot of random events that are hard for us to interpret and when we quantify those or we try to quantify them in our lives you realize how much of the your life is a matter of randomness sliding doors yeah yeah i mean that's the, exactly that's the movie, right? yeah that exactly it, yeah and, and the i mean i read this book many years ago but um, I tried, I'm, it's an exciting prospect for me, right? Because on the one hand, it means that there's more chaos than we can likely appreciate or admit. Yeah. On the other hand, you can quantify it. And so it's interesting. It's an interesting problem then, right? Um, but don't try and tell a client that a change in, you know, marketing results is just because it's random. Yeah. Don't try that. <laughs> because it doesn't work very well. It's like trying to tell a <laughs> recruitment manager that the market's bad, and they're just what? like, nah, you're just, you're just not working hard enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if the wrong person reads that book, could they just be like, well, I might as well just not bother? It is very uplifting. Okay. Oh, wait, okay. It so is very can, uplifting. Yeah, okay. It has a positive <laughs> note to it. It's not everything I do is pointless, and the world is chaos. It's not yeah, that yeah. at all. No, of course okay, not. Okay, cool. All right, good stuff. No. So last week we asked, um, which three people would you have in a zombie apocalypse? You said Emily Schmidt. From Schmidt off New Girl. New Girl. I haven't seen New Girl. I haven't seen New Girl, oh, no. Oh, cool. Dachanel. Zoe Dachanel. What? Zoe oh, Dachanel. Yeah, 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 she's that's, I, that's the only person I know in New yeah. Girl. Yeah. 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 She, I think she's the exec producer. producer. Anyways. Yeah. Schmidt. And then I actually didn't have two people. I just said someone who would think was like someone who built, made vaccines. Oh, like yeah. Like a scientist of so some like form. like a Fauci kind yeah. of oh, yeah. character. Just so that, yeah. So that like they could cure something and maybe just like max vaccinate all the zombies and then oh, yeah. all good and interesting then, gamble yeah, yeah. No, I, don't, I don't know it's on the spot okay um and then someone who's like a amazing architect that they can maybe like be a bit more hands-on build things shelter yeah. i'm thinking you know oh yeah kind of nice like, couldn't quite get the other nice. names though cool have you th rethought it all or are you sticking with oh, i'll nah, come back to you yeah don't yeah mm. so i had mo farah for running Mad Max for Mad Maxing, of obviously. Yep. Um, and I had Bill Burr for funny. Oh, yeah. And we spoke about not repopulating <laughs> the earth um, <laughs> because it's four men left. Um, but anyway, who would you have in your zombie apocalypse? <laughs> That'd be fun, it sounds like. You'd have a good time. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Really <laughs> good time, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, okay, well, semi-boring answer. Okay. I'd have my wife no, and child. No, no, we had that last week. We, we, I would, I have to say no, it. But because I no, actually, so, they're so, on my top two people, so no, I get yeah, them. No, I get, no, so what we said last week is they're safe in a bunker somewhere. Right, okay. So you're, uh, you're well, out. Oh, I'm going to have to walk yeah. it back. Yeah, oh, you have geez. to walk it back, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to take a different tack. <clears throat> Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Solid. I wanted <laughs> him last week. We spoked twice solid. in two weeks. <laughs> yep. We've had, yeah. We've Definitely Dwayne The Rock. Which rock, though? Like 90s the, Attitude oh, Era rock or like movie rock or like... Oh, no, Dwayne, like direct, you want right now, like he's in a mansion or at the gym and I w he'd be teleported directly okay, to so me. You want like, right now I rock. want this, this <laughs> the rock. So yeah. like Moana rock. Y exactly, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. 
I want Maui. This is my Maui. favorite Disney movie, by the way. I actually listened to the soundtrack on the way it's really good. today. It's yeah. the best soundtrack it's ever. Really Disney. It uplifts yeah. me, makes me really happy. Mm. If I'm ever mm. a bit down, I put the Moana sound. It's 45 minutes and mm-hmm. it makes it's your day. Moana. We do know who we Sorry, are. Moana. Yeah, there you Sorry, go. apologies. <laughs> cool. Okay, so you got the rock. Uh, but now I'm starting from scratch on the spot, so bear with me. Okay. Okay. Also, oh, you had your wife, your kid, and the rock. That's that right. Was thing. That was, <laughs> that was, the, that was gonna be the group. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, cool. Oh, mm-hmm. legend. And probably Bill Gates. Bill Gates. And here's here's my reasoning. Here's my reasoning. Okay. Right? You want to microchip the zombies? This is not about solving <laughs> the zombie apocalypse. I love how aspirational yours was, Emily. No, you. mine is. <laughs> I'm assuming that there's some people out there mm. who, if they heard, they could go find The Rock, Samuel L. Jackson, and Bill Gates. Yeah. They'd put a lot of resources into doing so. Okay. And so I'm just like, I'm actually turning myself into the hanger honor. Okay. Thinking, there are people oh, that yeah. are going to come for The Rock. They're not going to come for me, but they're uh, going to come for The Rock. And if they come for The Rock, I'm just going to be like, oh, hey, well, you got some space in that chopper, right? So I'm just going to hop in. If we ever get ah, someone wise. on this podcast who is a bigger draw than the three people that people choose for the zombie apocalypse, I'm going to be very impressed. So don't worry. We're assuming that you're the hanger on in this situation. Um, all right. Awesome. So just to wrap up uh, the episode today, we're always going to ask about your company and your team specifically, just in case there are people out there who want to work for you. So why should people want to work for Isobar? Great question. Um, Isobar is an unbelievably culture-driven company. And so uh, really strong values that are really the heart and soul of Isobar. Um, And everyone who has been there has embraced it wholeheartedly. And so while you get a lot of uh, corporatisms with a lot of companies, it's super laid back. People are good to each other. They're good to delivering work. They're considerate and respectful and they just get shit done nice. uh, and so i'd say the team is like the number one facet but as part of isobar the denso analytics team is unbelievable in terms of the skill set and there's such untapped opportunity in the world of digital experience digital marketing and the confluence with like the crm space because they're still very disconnected mm. and what we're creating in the isobar uh, business is just an unmatched, I believe, uh, ability to tap into companies' digital analytics functions mm. and turn them into experiences on your app, on your mobile, on your computer, really, really quickly. And that's, I mean, it's a it's a merging of technology, it's a merging of data, it's a merging of design mm. and development. But mm. that's that's why I think the ISPAR model and the ISPAR offering for data is so strong, uh, is because it's highly cross-functional. And there's really like an unmatched customer experience at our fingertips. There's just ideations everywhere. There's yeah. so much ideation. Oh, yeah. This room right now is just getting full of it. Oh, full of ideation. Yeah, exactly. So my next question was going to be why specifically your team should they work for? Great question. I think the benefits of being in my team versus like the other data teams is that we have a long view as to what the data team should be. Uh, and so when we're thinking about what does data contribute to our clients and what is, how does it contribute to the Dentsu business, uh, we're not just thinking like a lot of agencies would put in here around how can we package a service offering that's based on time and materials so that a client buys it. Because mm. mm. what you'll often see with agencies is we have a custom attribution model or we have like a, a custom uh, market mix model for making advertising decisions. They're off-the-shelf products. They're based on time. And so you put people into them and they... That's how they make money. Perfect. Um, 
but we're really looking to try and, uh, and we, we are right now, we're building out our product suite in a way that Dentsu hasn't really ever had before. Uh, and so that's part of something that I'm really, really excited about is make, being a blended agency and having data products that we can bring directly to our clients, that we can work with directly on our clients, as well as having you know the backbone of marketing services that we're working to as well. Um, and I think that's a really exciting space that hasn't been done very much in agencies, but is also uh, uh, something that is building very quickly. Brilliant, and the final question, and you're not gonna enjoy it because you've already said you don't like to toot your own horn. However, let's do it. Why should people work for you specifically? Mm. Should we say with you? Not for you guy, feel right. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> this is a really uncomfortable question for me though. I can see it. You yeah, I don't, I don't like well, it yeah. at all. Because, uh, yeah, you're, you I know don't what? really like as big upping. People, and we learned this at Precision as well, that we didn't used to sell enough in interviews with candidates. This is a really good opportunity for you to learn how to do that because mm. we're in such a candidate short market. If you're not selling you and your team and have mm. a really good ability to do that, you might not. Someone else down the road is doing it. Yeah. So this is your trial run. So why should someone work for you? If you someone might ask you that in an interview. Yeah. Or even what, and what your I mean, I have been asked like. it Yeah, what would your team interview? say about you? Yeah. Uh, I do actually know what my team say about me behind my back. Is it uh, true? Yeah. Did you breach their Google search history? <laughs> no, there was no, no data breach, but they said that uh, I'm the guy that can argue my way out of anything. Nice. Which so you I feel like out of I feel like it's question? a backhanded compliment. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm leading you away from. I know you are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can see that happening now. No, I think because people have asked me that in in interviews, and I actually find that format much much easier to mm -hmm. to manage. But um, the reason I like having my team, and the reason that I hope they like working with me, is because I see my team as the most critical instrument for my success. Mm. Right. And mm. I don't mean that in the cynical Machiavellian way of like, how do I get a bonus? But yeah. I'm only only going to be successful if they're happy and healthy and their needs are balanced with work. Their personal needs are balanced with work. They have what they need to be successful. They're not worried about promotion or job security or certainty in what they're doing or you know, anything that's that's, you know, day to day. They have all the things that they need. And they have someone who's going to argue for them. Mm. Mm. And that's something that I've been really passionate about is making sure that I'm the voice of, of the people in my team because it's my job to represent them. And so if, they're, if their needs aren't being accounted for when it comes to making business decisions, then I have a problem and I make sure that I'm very vocal about raising it and having it addressed. Um, that's a mixed bag. That's a mixed bag. It doesn't always go the way we want it to, sure. but I'd say yeah. that's, that's the thing that, I mean, I really love working with, the people in my team because I've hired them all and there's a reason I hired them all. Mm. Um, and so I'm passionate about them uh, and I defend them all the time. I that's a pretty damn good answer. I'm just imagine you're like this snowplow in front of them, just yeah. clearing obstacles to just give them the runway to just let them be who they need to be. He'll stoop up and bet for them. Yeah, basically. exactly. Yeah. That's the goal. And you yeah. know what? That's like half of what people want from a leader, right? It's someone who'll go into bat for them and stand up for them, right? And yeah take a bit of heat maybe sometimes i also liked how you mentioned personal needs and like what they need in life because that's a huge thing for us as well oh, right yeah. like health well-being if you don't have that you can't do well at work so 100 yeah, percent key so have yeah. we missed anything evan anything you want to add <laughs> oh i'm on the big up train now what else can i talk about myself for <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't think so. No Good stuff. No, I really enjoyed yeah. that chat. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank Anything you very much, you guys. Emily. 
No, it's been brilliant. Yeah, really yeah, good chat with Great today. second up. Yeah. Good loving, job, you guys. I've been loving meeting Evie as well. She's beautiful. Yeah, Evie's great. <laughs> so, um, well, look, thanks so much for coming on, Evan. That was brilliant. Um, for everyone who's listening, still at the end now. So in two weeks, we're going to have Dennis Jimenez yes. on, who is the head of data from Wilson Car Parking. Yeah. And used to be a Swiss, Swiss the um, multivitamins. multivitamins brand. Yeah, exactly. So that should be pretty interesting. But hopefully you enjoyed the episode again. And uh, thanks for listening.